I am Plant on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. Grant Lawrence joins me again. The award-winning author and broadcaster has just published a new memoir, Return to Solitude, More Desolation Sound Adventures with the Cougar Lady, Russell the Hermit, the Spaghetti Bandit, and others. It's a follow-up to his best-selling and acclaimed book, Adventures in Solitude, which he was first on the program with in 2010. He brings us back to Desolation Sound in British Columbia's Sunshine Coast. We're introduced once again to colorful, unforgettable characters that Grant knew growing up, spending time with his family their summers. It's an isolated place, one uh, you can reach only by boat, so it attracts unique personalities, people who are wanting solace from the big city or escape from the law. People like the Cougar Lady was brought up there and uh, lived and worked off the land. Another character we meet again is Russell the Hermit, who has... uh, a uh, profound effect on Grant's life. We also meet Bernard the German and uh, a phantom-like squatter known as the Spaghetti Bandit. I'll ask Grant about them and writing their lives, as it were, in his books and broadcasting them on radio. I'll uh, also get Grant to reflect on what Desolation Sound has meant to him in the decade or so since the first book, as he's since gotten married and become a father of two children. Grant Lawrence's uh, previous books include The Lonely End of the Rink, Dirty Windshields, and a children's book, Bailey the Bat and um, the Tangled Moose. He is the winner of two BC Book Prizes, the first author who's uh, received the Bill Duthie Booksellers' uh, uh, Choice Award twice. The website for more is at grantlawrence.ca. This, this new book is from Harbor Publishing. Please uh, welcome back to the Plant Online program, Grant Lawrence. Mr. Lawrence, good morning. Good morning, Joe. Thanks so much for having me back on. Great to connect with you again. Not nice to talk to you. For people listening, we're talking in the evening, um, but um, it, it feels like morning because it's still light out. Yeah. <laughs> so it's one of the great uh, things about this time of year. Um, before we get to the book, Grant, um, you're the only person I've ever interviewed who's, who's had a letter uh, on the Letterman show. When was oh, that? Really? Oh. I see. So this is the old late night days, right? Yeah, it was late night with David Letterman. It was 12.30 a.m. on NBC. And uh, that was when he had that dark little studio, which I think was maybe later taken over by Conan O'Brien. Yeah. Um, a fairly small TV studio. I've been in it since. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that was in the era where Letterman was doing a lot of, like, physical stunts, um, like, you know, wearing a Velcro suit and right, throwing yeah. himself up against, you know, like, like doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And uh, and I had fallen off a cliff uh, that spring, and I had severely injured myself. I had smashed up both knees, given myself a really bad concussion, had to undergo surgery, and I was at home. Uh, recovering for about a month and my parents were nice enough to allow me to put a cot in our tv room Uh and so i was watching tv all the time and i was watching later and later and later into the night because i didn't have to go to school in the morning right yeah uh, as a teenager and uh i was watching the tonight show all the time with johnny carson Uh and 
I would stay up to watch the comedian who would come on at the very end. And back then, the comedians were like Louis Anderson, Jerry Seinfeld, Eddie Murphy, Richard Lewis, mm-hmm. like really, really great stand-up comedians who would do five minutes at the end of The Tonight Show. And then one time, I just left the TV on, and this bizarre show from New York came on uh, late the late night with David Letterman, and I was just sort of taken into this whole world yeah. of weird comedy and characters and and just a strange, dark, late-night TV world that I did not even know existed. And so I was watching this show, and then they would flash an address every once in a while, and it was uh, Rockefeller Center in New York, you know, and, and I one time managed to jot down the address because they did a viewer mail segment on uh-huh. Thursday nights, and I was able to write David Letterman a letter. And the shocking thing to me was that I wrote him a letter, put a stamp on it, and forgot about it. My, my dad mailed it for me, and I forgot about it. And, uh, and then a couple weeks later, I was back at school. And I started back at school in a wheelchair and then was on crutches from my injury. Uh And an older kid stopped me in the hallway and said, hey, are you Grant Lawrence? And I said, yes. And he said, I thought he might, he was going to pummel me or something. (laughs) uh, Because that would happen even if you're on crutches in my high school. (laughs) And the, the guy said, oh, my God. David Letterman read out your letter last night on his show. And I couldn't believe it. And luckily, this was just sort of at the advent, sort of, um, this was in like the VCR age where oh, yeah. people would tape everything. Mm. So, so luckily, this older brother taped the show, the Letterman show, and I was able to see it. And uh, I only saw it once on tape in my history class at lunch hour, and I never saw it again because I had to return the VHS tape. And this story is in my book, The Lonely End of the Rink, uh, which came out about 10 years ago. And um, and since then, people have talked to me, like you are, about this Letterman story. And this guy in Spokane, Washington, knew about some Letterman freak who had every single episode of late oh, yeah. David Letterman on tape. Don Giller. And they, yeah. And they were able to uh, track down my episode and send the file to me. And so you so you, I, you have that. I now have it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, by the way, that's a great book, The Lonely End of the Rink. Oh, thank um, you, Joe. That was, uh, yeah, nine years ago. Um, but the first book, Though was Adventures in Solitude. That was a huge hit. Um, people loved that book, and, and I guess they told you they wanted more. What, what did that book, Grant, what did that mean for you create, creatively? When someone wants more right away? Yeah, or, or in terms of, of, because that was the first book. Did, 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 you, did you set out to, to become an author at that point? Oh, I see. No, um, you know, that, that was a surprise hit for sure. Like, um, that just basically shocked everyone, including me. Um, I was 
told, first of all, it took me about five or six years to write the book. Uh Um, People were discouraged uh, from my friends and everyone I knew about what I was writing about, which was this kind of lonely place on the West Coast called Desolation Sound, um, which has always been kind of a catchment for people trying to escape, get away from life. Um, you know, it's water access only, lots of hippies, lots of draft dodgers, uh-huh. some very, 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 you know, sh- shadows of pioneers and and uh, and First Nations presence as well. Uh-huh. And uh, people would say to me when, you know, that was kind of the spiel when I said, you know, they asked me, what are you doing these days? I said, well, I'm writing a book. And I tell them that's what it was about. And they would say to me, why aren't you writing a book about your band, The Smugglers? Mm-hmm. Like, you've done so many tour diaries over the years, and why? that seems like the natural thing to write about. But I think that I had come off being fully into a band for 17 years of my life or 15 years or whatever it was at that point. And I was a little bit burnt out on that subject matter. And the escape into Desolation Sound really captured my imagination. I, You know, as I describe it, Desolation Sound is kind of like a cross between the Beachcombers and the Shining. <laughs> like, you just never know the crazy, crazy stuff that's going to happen up there. So it took me a long, long, long time to find a publisher. Mm-hmm. Uh, every single major publisher in Canada turned me down for Adventures in Solitude. And then pretty much every single independent publisher either did not respond or turned me down. And eventually through, you know, there's a, there's an old saying that's who you know, not what you know. Uh, I met a guy at one of my beer league hockey games, speaking of lonely into the rink. And I was lamenting to him that I wrote a book that nobody cares about and nobody wants. And he said, well, what's it about? I gave him the spiel. And he said, well, have you sent it to Harbor Publishing? I said, yeah, of course. Like, that was even before I had a literary agent. I sent it there. And because they're based on the Sunshine Coast, I thought yeah. it was a natural fit. Mm-hmm. Never heard a word. And then the guy basically said, you know, a few words that changed my life. He said, well, my dad owns Harbor Publishing. Mm. So that was Silas White. And his dad is Howard White who's run Harbor Publishing for close to 50 years and mm-hmm. has the Order of Canada. And he said, let me ask my dad, you know, to, to find your manuscript. So I, again, forgot about that. Just like the Letterman letter, I was kind of like, I just, like, had the conversation, moved on. And about two weeks later, like, similar to the Letterman scenario, I got an email from Howard White saying, hey, I found your manuscript at the bottom of a pile, mm-hmm. and uh, we like it, and we want to put it out, and but we want another 20,000 words. And so I was completely over the moon, freaked out, thrilled, you know, totally excited. And then they, they were very modest in their expectations, very, very modest. Mm-hmm. And it was a real struggle for my artistic vision, in terms of design and everything else to be met. And finally it came out and it was pretty much like, I treated it like a record because 
I had to come from the music business. So mm-hmm. I'm like, well, when you put out a record, you tour the record and you promote it every which way you can. And so what I did was I actually went an unconventional route and I went with a music publicist because I knew that everyone would know me through music mm. and that a lot of the mainstream writers in, uh, in, in the Canadian media were doing sort of double duty by this point. Like Stuart Dearden from the province was doing you know, music, but he was also doing like arts and entertainment and plays and, because everyone was paring down. Mm-hmm. So my publicist, Ken Beatty, was actually able to get me a ton of press through our music connections, you know, who you know. And then it just kind of caught a sort of, uh, it got momentum. And then it spent like basically a year at either number one or number two on the BC bestsellers list and also went to number two on the national bestsellers list for nonfiction. And then so the reaction of Harbor was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. We can't believe it. We can't believe people actually want to read this book. And (laughs) they care about, you know, desolation sound. And then so their immediate reaction was for me to to write another one, like, instantly. But had I done that, it would have been just, like, essentially leftover scrap. Yeah. And and again, you know, hearkening back to my – history with the music business i know that the, the first album you take your whole life to, to make it and and same with a book you know you have your whole life to write your first book usually a second album in the music industry is rushed especially if there was any sort of success and that second album is often called the sophomore jinx mm. and things do not go so well because it's rushed you know you rush the songwriting you rush everything about it and I didn't want that sophomore jinx. So I told them, no, I'm not writing another book about Desolation Sound yet. Maybe someday down the road, I'm going to write about a completely different subject matter where I've built up enough stories to be able to put it together. And that became Lonely Into the Rink. And sure enough, it did take me about a decade to build up enough stories from Desolation Sound where I felt that I had enough material to, to, to be able to legitimately put out uh, a new edition, which is Return to Solitude. So, so the, the great thing about um, Return to Solitude is, is we, we meet it once again familiar characters like the Cougar Lady or Russell the Hermit. Um, but the, the Grant Lawrence that's in the book is um, uh, an older one with children this time. Yeah. And it, it's fascinating seeing them see this place that that means a great deal to you and um writing about that as a dad um and and there's there's a beautiful uh piece in the book about um you're talking about the annual trip that you your dad and your son take oh right the three generations and i thought that was kind of cool to see this place in um that context and so 12 years later i mean was it uh i mean it must have been fun to to take stock and, and look, look back at your life with, with that sort of perspective, right? Yeah, I mean, the, you know, that's the thing is, like, uh, I had changed a lot in those 10, 12 years. Like, I had gone from being single to, and footloose and fancy free and, you know, kayaking at night and, you know, doing all these things that 
you do when you're up there and you're single and you don't have a schedule to getting married and then having two little kids. Mm -hmm. And um, they're eight and six now, so I still consider them little. And um, But, you know, all of a sudden I had to become a responsible adult. And that was a major shift for me. You know, like I, I couldn't sleep till 10 or noon anymore. And, and then all of a sudden I realized I was like repeating the, I was repeating what my parents had done. You know, now I'm the one who's dragging my kids out of bed at, at the crack of dawn and loading them into the car and strapping them into their car seats and rushing to the ferry, which is exactly what my parents did. And I hated it. And now I'm doing it to my kids and I'm going like, what is going on? But I, I love it. And I love the process and I love, you know, as you said, I love introducing them to the place. I love introducing them to the stories, to the people, to the lore, to the beauty, to the nature, to the animals, you know, everything about it, I think, is uh, important for children uh, to be exposed to. And, and I'm the first to say that it's a privilege. I, I, I realize it's, a, it's an incredible privilege. I didn't think it was a privilege when I was a little kid. I mm-hmm. thought it was a miserable, wet, lonely place and uh, how cruel my parents were to drag me to that place. Now I realize it's, you know, oceanic nature supreme uh, where, I mean, just we were just there a couple of days ago and Mm -hmm. as I was rushing the kids and my wife to leave and to get out of there and to go home uh, to to make the ferry, everyone stops in our tracks because my daughter Grace heard a a terrific boom out in the water. It almost sounded like a sonic boom. Mm-hmm. And my daughter said, what is that, Dad? And I said, I don't know. And we looked out. And the minute I turned my head, we saw out off our deck, out in the inlet, the entire body of a full-grown orca whale breach out of the water, leap out of the water from nose to tail, fully clearing the water, and then splashing down again. And it was a, a family, a, a small pod of orcas, mm-hmm you know, just out out in front of our place. And so that type of, uh, of experience is just really priceless, and I'm just happy that I can share it with my kids. Because when I was growing up, there's another interesting thing. There were no orcas around when I was growing mm, up. There, yeah. There's been a real return of, of large uh, ocean mammals to Desolation Sound in the last 10 to 15 years. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's um, you, you describe it so beautifully in in your writing about how bucolic and and um, interesting a place it is. Um, I'm not an outdoorsy person, and I found it just delightful to read. I, I, um, I think I've read enough now that I I don't have to go. But um, <laughs> um, but the people I think are, are what what make this place so interesting. I mean, you write about the cougar lady. Um, and she's such a fascinating character because I guess she spent her whole life in that part of the world. And then, and then when you when you take a guy like Russell, um, who goes there, I guess midlife or in, in middle age, uh, to get away mm-hmm. from it all, um, 
it shows the, the the sort of different kinds of people that end up there. You describe them, I think, near the end of the book, as hardy people. Um, do, do you think Desolation Sound shapes them, or, or does it attract people like this? Well, I think it's, it's both. It, it attracts people, for sure, who are looking. You know, I often use the word escape. Mm-hmm. You know, then they, they could be looking to escape the city, the rat race. Um, but in some cases... You know, some of them are looking to escape responsibilities. Some some of them are looking to escape the law. You know, it is a lawless place because it's uh, water access only, so it's beyond the reach of the law to a, to a fairly significant degree. Yeah. You know, you call the cops up there, they show up two days later. Yeah, yeah. And um, a lot can happen in 48 hours. So, uh, yeah, it's... But I think it attracts people and then it shapes them and changes them and, and people kind of grow into the contours of the land. And, and some people make it and some people don't, you know. Some people have a, a really great experience and some people, which I write about in my first book, some people really go bush because mm. as much as we think or as much as some people think they want to distance themselves from society and they don't fit in, we human beings really are social creatures. We're amongst the probably, well, we are the most social mammal on the planet because we live in mega cities mm-hmm. with, with millions of us all in one place. Um, and, and really the only similarity would be in the insect world with ants or uh, bees, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that, that sort of hive mentality that we share with them. I mean, Russell compared Toronto to uh, an anthill that uh, every single day uh, the, all these people stream into the city and do their job and do their work, and then they stream back out of the city. And he compared that to ants leaving an anthill and going and doing their work for the queen and then coming back again. And he thought, my life is no greater than an ant, and I'm, I'm not going to live like this. And he left the, what he called, you know, the rat race and, uh, and, and just took off to the West Coast and, and ended up in the, luckily for me, ended up in the cove right beside our family cabin, uh, living the full-on hermit lifestyle. But even he was social. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he lived a, a hermit lifestyle, but as I say, the, the odd ju- juxtaposition with, with Russell is that he was about the most social hermit you could ever find because as soon as we would show up, he was up there and chatting away and, you know, yakking because he hadn't seen anybody in a while and, and he had a lot. He, he he had built up a lot of things to talk about uh, in the month that we hadn't been there. So so we meet him in the in the first book, and um, you talked about him over the years on the radio uh, on right. North by Northwest. What, what did he make of um, say the, the the fame that that he sort of got because of you? Well, he he feigned. Uh, embarrassment, <laughs> and he yeah. feigned uh, he like they didn't like it. But if there's one thing that I kind of discovered 
over writing nonfiction and writing memoir and writing about people uh, that actually exist uh, is that there's a lot of ego. Everybody has an ego. Sure. And uh, if the depiction is is favorable and kind and, and generally, you know, generally good, um, really people, they, they really do want their story told. People, 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 I find anyway, that people, uh, they, they, they want to be remembered and they want for people to know what they've been through and know the, the story. And, you know, I mean, the thing with Russell is that he would go to the London pub mm-hmm. before, you know, my books or my podcast or the radio show. And he would tell anyone who listened about his, you know, hike over the mountains or his life or, or whatever crazy story that had recently happened to him. So he was always telling his stories, but I did, you know, to use your word, I did make him certainly much, much, much more well-known than he ever expected to be. And people would track him down all the time. Mm. People would show up at the Lund Pub asking about Russell, asking about Russell the Hermit, where is he? You know, can they meet him? Can I buy him a beer? And I really believe that he enjoyed that. You know, he was still driving taxi when I put out Adventures in Solitude. That's the job he started after he left Desolation Sound. Mm -hmm. And I remember one story, he was telling me, oh, I'm embarrassed. He said this, he said that in the book. But then I heard from two people who got into his taxi and he had Adventures in Solitude taped to the dashboard of his taxi, the book. Yeah. And he would say to the people who get into the taxi, have you read my book? <laughs> so I, I, when I heard that story, I'm like, okay, he's into it. He's proud of it. You know, and that, and I appreciated that. I, I liked that. And, and it made me feel good. I mean, the series that I did with him on North by Northwest, I learned a lot more about him yeah. than, and and subsequently, uh, in the end of his life, and I, I I learned he had a daughter, and I learned a lot about his daughter that I didn't know, and and kind of it was kind of that running from, running from responsibility, and so I do reveal. Um, quite a bit about that in the new book that that Russell wasn't quite as he appeared in my youth. Sure. There was there was more to the guy than than met the eye. Let's just say that. And and that's the thing about um, whether it's Russell or it's the Cougar Lady uh, or, or or Bernard the German um we get a, a a great sense of their life, and and I think you know, the, as you said a moment ago, they they, they obviously uh, may or may not want to to reveal the, their life um, to anybody else, but but I, I think they deserve their life story to be told, and that's the great service that you've done, um, not just in Return to Solitude, but in the first book, and 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 um, that's what makes them such compelling people, regardless of 
whatever they may have done or the circumstances regarding their deaths. Um, they're people that we should know, right? Yeah, I mean, and you know, Joe, the reason that I write about all of them is because they were all nice to me. Yeah. They were all nice to this little nerdy kid who was, I was afraid of my own shadow. You know, Russell was really cool to me. He did not have to give me the time of day, but he kind of took me under his wing. He, you know, Russell in particular taught me a lot about counterculture. Uh, he taught me, he would give me lists of great books to track down, great music to track down. And that really had a huge, huge impact on me, a young, nerdy, sort of preteen, entering into young teen years. Cougar lady, the same thing. She was nice to me. She, yeah. she you know, fed me tea and biscuits on cold, rainy, stormy days. And Bernard the German, huge guy. And by that point, I was kind of a, you know, 20-something indie rocker. And he was the blue-collar giant from the, you know, from the docks. Uh-huh. And he was nice to me. He was a good, friendly man. And I got to know these people because they were nice people. Now, as I talk about in the book, I wish that they sometimes showed the kindness and gregariousness uh, that they showed me to their members of their own family. Mm-hmm. But that's you know, one of the many complications of family. You know, that's just one of the strangeness. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, that that's where it all comes from is, is people being nice to each other and making connections. And, and, and I'm a very curious guy, so I ask lots of questions. And I, I, I never, you know, like you, uh, you know, I never stop asking questions. And so each question you ask, opens up a new page in someone's story. Uh, before I let you go, Grant, um, uh, the cougar lady, um, when she said cheerio, what did that sound like? Cheerio! So, Because that's what I was thinking. It was very English, I guess. Or... Yeah, it had, a, it had a... Even into her end years, uh-huh. she had a, 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 a little English lilt. Like, it wasn't a full-on English accent. But it was like a lilt that had stuck with her her whole life. So, because she was actually born in Seattle, mm. but she lived in such isolation with only her parents, who were full-blown Brits, and her brother, who was born in England as well. They all had English accents, and so just by proxy she developed an English accent because that's the only, you know, that was the only, those are the only voices she was acclimatized or around mm-hmm. until she started eventually, you know, in, in the warrior, she worked at the mill and, but she never, even though she was, wasn't born in England and never went to England her entire life, um, she still maintained a bit of an English accent. So, yeah, she would always say, cheerio. <laughs> um, how many people um, in, in in and around your cabin there um, live there year-round, say? Oh, only a small handful. I would say 
maybe maybe five people year round. Yeah. I'm just trying to think. One, two, three. Yeah, it's only three to five people max. And then that obviously swells in the summer when people head up there, right? Yeah, it's already swelling now. Like, there's more and more. Like, uh, people start showing up around March, and then it, it gets really busy in the summer months. And But, you know, really the two busiest months are obviously July and August, like any mm-hmm. North American summer place. And, um, and then it tails off really fast. Could you see yourself live there year-round? No, I couldn't. I, I, I could see myself living in Powell River year-round, and sure. I would love to do that. Yeah. I'm, it's a bit harder to convince my wife to do that. I almost better convince, but she... She she loves our neighborhood in East Vancouver, and she loves the community, and so she doesn't want to leave. But um, uh, but I could live there. I don't think I could live in Desolation Sound year round because it's just the weather is too wild. Mm. Like in the winter, it just becomes too stormy and too dark and too wet. Uh, just really really quite wild and our cabin is not quite sheltered enough to sustain that type of living we're just a little bit too exposed to the weather where we are that that doesn't allow for uh for year-long living and in this idea which you alluded to a moment ago about going bush um it, it really does affect one's mind living in an isolated place like that, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's basically the same concept as solitary confinement, mm. except it, it takes slower to go mad because nature is so much nicer to be in. Yeah. But uh, the longer anyone isolates themselves from other people, the more they they start to lose it in, in ways. And not, not everybody. Russell never went bush. Uh-huh. But, I mean, I see it, you know, like I have a neighbor who lives there full time, and he will say, you know, if I start feeling like I'm going a little bit bush, which is which is like kind of, um, to, to go bush is, I think there's, I'm trying to remember, but there's like, three or four stages and one of them one of the first stages is loneliness yeah and then and that's usually where people do act like oh i'm feeling lonely i'm going to go in and see some people and that improves mental health the sec if they don't leave i think the second stage is just really wanting people to visit so they start inviting people Mm -hmm. to come and then if people can't come they, they, the next stage of going bush is resentment. Resentment that people have forgotten about you, that they don't care about you, that you are being ignored, that people are turning against you. And that leads to the next stage of going bush, which is just paranoia. Mm. Paranoia that people are out to get you, that all those people who didn't show up are actually... They hate you, uh, and that many people who go bush become delusional that authority is out to get them, like the FBI, the CIA, the RCMP, you know, and you name it. I mean, I've heard a lot of crazy talk and read about it, 
And then, sadly, the last stage of going bush is often death, either mm. by suicide or by, you know, someone, you know, like a gunfight or something like that. And, you know, luckily it doesn't happen too often, but there's a lot of stories in Desolation Sound where, where it has happened. And either by, you know, a shootout with cops, when they eventually show up yeah. or, or a, a tragic suicide. And so, you know, and, and all those instances have pretty much always happened in the winter months where, you know, it's dark for most of the day and mm. night and, and there's, there's not a lot of sunshine. And so, yeah, you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta protect your mental health. You know what my favorite photo in the book is? What's that? It's the one where, where it's you, your mom, your dad, and your sister. And oh, yeah. I, I guess it's the first time that you came back, and it was for Russell's uh, wake. Yeah, it was the first time the four of us had been in the Lund pub together in about, I'd say, three decades. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it was, I mean, I find that's kind of one of the ironies of funerals is, yeah, yeah. is people, like, show up for the dead, but they don't necessarily show up for the living. And I, I find that kind of, I try to fight that all the time. You know, like, I go to my high school reunions. I go to, you know, Woody Allen said, I think 90% of life is just showing up. Ironically, he doesn't show up to the Oscars. So that's a whole <laughs> other, uh, but, so I try to show up because I hate going to funerals and seeing all these people and, and going like, man, why couldn't we all do this when the guy was alive? And, um, but yeah, that that's what happened with, it took, Russell's death to get all four of my family members back up uh, into the London pub together. Yeah, at the same time, which I thought, because it, it reminded me of the first book, and then it reminded me of the, the, this great chunk of time that you've written about in your own life, and uh, it reminded me about how special Russell was to all of you. Yeah, that, that's that, right. that you Our showed whole up. family, yeah. yeah. yeah it, was, it was the first long hair that my dad ever befriended. <laughs> yeah. Grant, I could uh, talk uh, all day with you all, all evening about this book because it's just a special book and, and um, so many memorable people. By the way, th- th- this show, Grant Lawrence and Friends, are you are you doing this through the summer? No, I'm taking the summer off. I'm doing it in the spring and in the fall again. So uh, the remaining shows are in Kamloops, Whistler, Tender Island, and Quadra Island. Uh, and then I'm taking all of July and August uh, just to rest, and then um, in Desolation Sound, uh-huh. and then I'll start the tour up again in September, hitting Gulf Islands like Gabriola, Galliano, uh, Maine Island, and uh, places like that. So people can go to your website, grantlawrence.cn, and they can see the dates and how to get tickets to all these events, right? Yeah, that's right. It's, it's sort of a mix. It's sort of I call it like a West Coast rip-off of the Vinyl Cafe, uh, yeah. you know, Stuart McLean, yeah. uh, but but our, our coastal stories and great musicians, and those shows are a lot of fun, and it's so great to have it back after COVID. Indeed, indeed. Grant, it's a pleasure speaking with you again, and, and uh, all the best uh, for the summer, and congratulations on this book, and continued good luck with it. Yeah, thank you so much, Joe. It's always great to talk to you, and thanks for the, the, the great chat. The website for more is at uh, grantlawrence.ca. The book is called Return to Solitude, More Desolation Sound Adventures with a Cougar Lady. 
Russell the Hermit, the Spaghetti Bandit, and others. It's from Harbor Publishing. Its author, Grant Lawrence, joined me on the line from here in Vancouver. I'm Joseph Plunton.